Welcome everyone to TupaCast episode 19. I'm your host Christopher and with me is my brother Matthew and <laughs> and my dad Alton. Hello. And tonight we're going to do Pet Stories Part 2, but before that we will cover some weekly news. Matthew, do you have any? Uh, I got two. Okay. Um, today I picked up, jeez, uh, what's, I don't know his name, it's the ice cream maker guy from Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Oh, uh, Will, uh, ah, I just opened Wilson, mine. Wilson something. Will Rose something. <laughs> I, I just opened mine right before this. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the story behind this is there, there's, when when everyone's evacuating the Cloud City and Empire Strikes Back, one of the, you know, just throwaway stand-in characters in the background is a uh, 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 I guess he's an African-American guy running in the background, and he's carrying an ice cream maker in his hand. <laughs> and, and, you know, it kind of looks futuristic from the background, whatever. But when you pause it and you look at it, it's obvious it's some guy carrying an ice cream maker. And uh, it's just one of those things that kind of caught on with the, the more esoteric fans. And I think there was, you know, uh, is it Hasbro who makes these? Yeah, Hasbro. Uh, wait, is Hasbro still make stories? Yeah, yeah, it's Hasbro. Okay. So, uh, you know, Hasbro does polls every, every I guess, year or so on fan favorite figures to make. And uh, one year they picked this guy. And so, you know, I picked him up today. I, I'd seen him a couple times before, once with you. And I was always like, you know, seven bucks for this guy. It's, it's a fat guy with an ice cream maker. <laughs> He's got no value. But uh, <laughs> I picked him up today. And, you know, he's he's awesome because it's it's literally – it's it's not like a fat guy, but he's got this big old like beer belly, <laughs> which is hilarious. He's got this pimp mustache, and he's got an ice cream maker. I mean, it is a straight up. I'm holding it in my hand. It's an ice cream maker. And I don't know if you notice this, but if you check out the bottom, yeah, it's got the logo. Yeah, it's got the like the the Imperial Alliance logo on it, which is kind of weird why it's on there, but but so yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Did you see his eyes? They're painted brown. Oh yeah, they are. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. I didn't yeah. get past his, his sex <laughs> You almost have to get him just because it's so, like, random. I know. <laughs> what is this? The other thing was I watched uh, today because I was sick, so I watched a bunch of movies. And one of them I watched was uh, Chuck Norris's Octagon. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, don't, I don't understand that movie. That's the one where they they break into someone's house and kill him, right? And then he goes to, like, some kind of ninja training compound. Is that the one? Yeah. With like he, he there's like he's helping some girl. I guess they killed her dad or something. I don't know. And then at the end, like they're fighting in like a a ninja training thing. Yeah. <laughs> but but despite what it sounds like, like he describes it, it's horrible. <laughs> so so first off, there's all these extra scenes that aren't even needed in the movie. It's like what? Why is that even in there? Um, and then. I don't even know where the title Octagon comes from. I guess there's there's an uh, uh, eight-sided ring in the ninja training camp, but they never really focus on it. They never mention it or anything. So the oh. title's completely irrelevant. <laughs> um, and then it's like, you know, they're like they're training these ninjas to be super assassins, okay? And they're like, the only person who can stop them is uh, whoever this guy's name was, John Scott or something, you know, because he's a martial artist and he competes in competitions. And, you know, even his buddy, his friend was saying, you know, look, I know you don't compete in the tournaments anymore, but, uh, you know, you still got it or whatever. And and it's like, what? 
<laughs> I mean, because I've competed in tournaments, and I, I, I'm not like you know ready to take on a ninja clan. Well, but, well, those ninjas are pretty lame. You you could. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you got a point there. Maybe, maybe that explains it. But uh, there's a cameo by uh, I think Ernie Hudson. Who's that? The Ghostbuster. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think he's in there, and he's like all ripped and everything. But it was just it was like a total play to Chuck Norris. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it was just like not even a good movie at all. It was bad. Yes, yeah, so I. So lame. Yeah, I agree with you. And it was all like filmed, looked like it, you know, in the hills outside California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that's where they filmed all the Star Tracks. Yeah, I like how how he when he first goes there, doesn't he drive up in a jeep and he kind of parks it like it. Not very far away. Yeah. And then, like, walks up a hill or something. I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, like, his, his, his friend who, who went to the camp before him who got caught, he's just, like, running down the hill in, like, a bright red jacket. And he gets caught by ninjas outside the gate. I was like, well, what did you expect to happen? <laughs> it's funny you should mention that because as soon as this podcast is over, uh, I'm watching the, the, the new movie called Ninja. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got it out of the uh, red box, so I'm watching that tonight. That's supposed to be good, I guess. I haven't seen a ninja movie in a long time, so I'm kind of excited. A good ninja movie. (laughs) Okay, Dad, do you have any? Or do you have any more? Well, I, I, uh, your mom and I just watched this evening, this afternoon, that movie. I think you uh, let us uh, see it. Pandor? Pandorum. Pandorum. Yeah, what'd you think? Well, I didn't think it was too bad. Your mom said it was sick or stupid or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it was, it, 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 you know, it's kind of one of those stories where you put people in a, in a spaceship and you send them off and they're going to go to another planet. And while they're going to the other planet, Earth blows up. And so something happens and it's, it's, it's not quite, you'll quite figure out what the heck happened until like, the very end, which is good, but some of it's you know still didn't make sense. But uh, I somehow uh, these people, the, the people on the ship, turn into these ravaging eating monsters. Spoilers, you might want to mention that, Christopher. Spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in case any, if anybody hasn't seen this, and you know, you might want to fast forward a little bit. Okay, go so, ahead. Uh, there, there was a movie about Mar, uh, uh, Mars. I, I think it was was that the one where uh, it was it was based off of off of uh, one of those uh, games that you play where they went to Mars and they did some experiments and they turned the people into uh, uh, killers and they eat each other and stuff like that. Anyway, that's kind of what happened here, and uh, you don't really you don't I don't know if they ever told you in the movie what caused these. What caused the humans on the ship to turn into these beasts that kill each other and eat each other? But what's interesting is is that the, the ship actually made it to this planet, and it crashed and it was underwater, and uh, these people were in cryogenic sleep. And if I'm not mistaken, did it say at the at the very end that these people were actually in asleep for like 900 years instead of instead of eight? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Like that? Yeah. What What happened was the ship, I guess crashed on the planet they were supposed to be on but it was in the ocean and at some point some people woke up and my thing my understanding was some 
like people were just waking up randomly throughout those 900 years. And some of the people that I guess woke up maybe really early, like maybe the first eight years, they that that girl said they had that chemical in them that would help them adapt to life on the planet. And since they had crashed, you know, they, they were in the ship, so it started making them adapt to the ship. And then as, you know, 900 years went on and they started breeding and, you know, whatever, they just created this race of freaky mutants. And then random people would wake up, you know, whenever, and then, bam, there you are. So everybody that woke up basically got killed and eaten. Or tried to hole up somewhere as long as they could. Well, okay, yeah, there was a few that held up. But they didn't hold up for 900 years. No, no, yeah, yeah. I thought it was pretty neat. I like the idea that it would, if you could get the right uh, writers, it would be a pretty neat series, kind of like Battlestar, but really dark because, you know, those freaky creatures are eating people. But, no, why um, are they eating people? Well, they're just like messed up mutants, and um, I guess there's no food, so there is nothing to eat but people that wake up <laughs> and each other. Like when they would, if a good guy killed one of the mutants, the other mutants would eat them. I'm assuming that they're just starving all the time because there's no food. But as long as they're alive, they didn't eat you. Right. Well, the other the other thing I noticed, uh, the end of the story about that, the other thing I noticed that the trees are starting to bloom around here. So I don't know if winter is coming close to an end or not. Oh, okay. Good, I guess. Good news, yes. That's it. That's it from this part of Edna. Okay. Um, I saw another movie called Dead Snow. Which I, <laughs> with the Nazi zombies? Yes. Yeah, the, the, I heard that. It's, uh, it's on Netflix streaming, so you can watch it for free if you have Netflix. It's really fun. It's a really fun zombie movie that I think it's Norwegian, so it takes place in. Uh, it's, it, they're like these, these people go to like a cabin, they're going to go skiing or snowmobiling or something. And anyway, they encounter some zombies, but the zombies are, are all uh, dead Nazi soldiers from World War II. And uh, it's pretty neat. It's really fun. There's some clever parts, but it's just a really fun zombie movie. It's not too, too gross uh, like some of them, but it's it's pretty neat. I, I recommend that. Let's see. This past week, I was debating whether or not to mention any of this, but I had a co-worker that passed away, and we uh, his funeral was Monday. Mo- you know, people always say that it's you know the things you own and the things you have in your life don't don't matter in the end you know it's the kind of person that you were and so i i just kind of want to reemphasize that because this guy that passed away his name was Roger Poole and he was he was um one of those guys that i'd never heard anyone say anything bad about him and the people at his funeral had nothing but good things to say and you know you can say that well no one's going to say bad at his funeral but the stories that they told about him were all about how he helped people and how he was always happy. And one of the things that really stood out was he had cancer at the end and he was in and out of hospital like almost every week. And when people would go visit him, he, he always smiled and he always said he was okay. He never complained and he never never whined about it and never wanted anybody to know that he was in pain. Like you wouldn't even know he was hurting. You'd have to talk to his wife or his son because he he would never let you know. 
what's really important in life is how you affect the people around you and how you leave the world. If you leave the world a better place and you in some way or another make people happy or bring a smile to someone's face or help someone else, that's what really matters. That's what people are going to remember. That's what people are going to talk about. No one really cares the stuff you own, what you do at work. You know, none of that stuff really matters. What really matters is just the way that you improve the lives of those around you in some fashion. So anyway, I just want to throw that out there because I was really reminded of that. I guess to really to really hit it, I, I put this on Facebook. I wrote a thing about Roger, but there was a time, see, he had cancer and he got better, and then he started getting worse. But right before he got worse, me and him worked side by side in an office, literally about a foot apart. And then we moved to a new office, so we had a little bit more room. But Roger was always worried about, he was always concerned that I didn't, I wasn't getting paid enough. So one time, so one day he pulled me aside and he, he said, hey, do you think if I took early retirement? So one, one day he pulled me aside and he said, hey, do you think if I took early retirement, they would pay you more money so they wouldn't have to pay for me? Because effectively I was his replacement at some point. And I said, you know, don't, you know, I don't know, who cares? It doesn't matter. And then he came over to me a little later and he said, seriously, I will take early retirement right now if you think they'll give you more money. Wow. And, you know, I was like, no, that's, you know, no way. But, you know, who would do that? You know, like, who do you know that you work with that would come up to you like two years before they wanted to retire and said, you know, hey, I'll retire right now if they'll give you the money that they were going to give me or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like I wouldn't even do that. I would just go to the boss and say, look, you need to give this guy more money, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do that. So, but that's the kind of person he was and other people told stories like that. So I'm just, you know, I just want to emphasize that that's what really matters. You know, I'll never forget that. And I will, I will try to live like that because it touched me in some way, and I will pass that on to my children and everybody I know. So, anyway, enough of that. We now have at least the the site that I have the podcast up. It kind of shows me how many listeners, but not where. It'll only show me where they're being like actually downloaded because you can listen to it online or you can download it. So I don't know where anybody's listening from, but I know where they're downloading them at. And now we have some downloads in Australia and the Ukraine. So there you go. Well, great. Oh, and also, we've got like 500 downloads in Beijing, China. So if anybody from Beijing, China could email me and just uh, say hi. So it would be awesome to have a, a pen pal in Beijing. Or apparently 500 of them. Or 500 of them. <laughs> so that'd be awesome. Okay. Uh, so that's all. That's all my. Uh, that's all my weekly news. So you want to talk some pets? Sure. Sure. Okay. I'll let you start, Matthew, since I only have one new one. Um, do you want me to start with our family? Sure. All right. <clears throat> so, first pet we had uh, that that you know I mean Christopher and I when Christopher and I were in the family at least was a parakeet named Cinnamon. Oh, I and, forgot. Yeah, and whatever, parakeets are exciting, but <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. But I do remember that um, I would stick my my hand in, in her cage, but I guess I had a glove on, and she'd sit on my finger. And I don't think she would do that for anyone else. 
but she she I, I guess the doc the, the vet said she had like cancer or something because she kept like chewing on her wings and she got these real big bumps or like tumor growths. So mom and dad or who yeah mom and dad took her to the vet and I guess put her under. I'm not sure how you exactly do that with the bird, but uh, euthanized euthanized her basically because she you know she had cancer she was going to die anyway and she was kind of suffering. So that was that. Um, and then I, my first pet that was all mine, I won a goldfish at a, a fair. It's where you toss the ping pong balls into the, uh, a bunch of little glass cups like all over a table. And if they land in there, you get it. Okay. And it was a, fi- a little goldfish in there. So I, I named it 50 cents because that's how much it cost me. To win. <laughs> anyway, it died like within a day and a half. Oh, wow. I remember I was real sad. I mean, I didn't care. But for some reason, I just felt this remorse. So I uh, I buried it, like, out in the woods behind the house. Hey, did, then, hey did we have uh, cinnamon before the dog? Yes. Okay. Yes. Huh. And then next up, like you mentioned in your last podcast, was Popcorn, which was uh, a mutt. And uh, she was kind of mostly black with kind of tannish fur around the legs. And... I don't remember too much about her other than all the bad stories. <laughs> like we basically, you know, we're, we're kids, you know, we, we, we only wanted to spend so much time with the pet as it was. So we kept her tied up a lot in the backyard, uh, right by our little playhouse. Cause our playhouse, the cubby, which is a whole podcast in itself was, uh, kind of her house became her house, which is really a nice dog house. And, uh, you know, like dogs will do when, when she would break loose, she would just run away. And, um, <laughs> I, I remember a lot of times we tie her up and she didn't want to be tied up. She was pretty wild in that sense. And she would run and, you know, the rope would catch her and it would like yank her back. You remember that? Yes, I do. Yeah. And, and she wouldn't learn. I mean, it's like, she just kept doing it. And then she would like literally wear all the fur off around her neck because she kept trying to like yank free and, but she would never figure it out. And then, like you said, when we moved to Indiana, we took her back to the vet because, you know, we, I guess, didn't know what exactly kind of neighborhood we were moving into in Texas and all that. So we just kind of <laughs> sent her back. But it, one of the funnier stories I remember was, um, well, about the vet, I guess about the car crash first. That's not funny. Was I remember coming home from school. And I guess you were with me because we were on the same bus, maybe. I think so. And there's like, we saw this blood in the driveway. And, you know, there's a neighbor's car in, fr- uh, in front of our house, and there's, like, blood dripping in the driveway. And so we kind of walked up, and uh, I don't know if, if Mom had already taken popcorn to the vet or not. But at first we thought, like, a person had gotten hit by a car. I thought a person had gotten hit by a car. And I was like, oh, it's just a dog. <laughs> which, which sounds bad, but out there, you know, dogs would get hit by the cars. You know, it wasn't uncommon. Oh, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> I don't remember any other dogs getting hit. Well, okay, but, you know, Grandpa's, he always lost a lot of dogs. And so it's kind of just like, well, dogs will get hit by cars. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but the funny story was, you know, we tie popcorn up or, or, you know, we'd play with her and then she'd be running around and then it was. Hey, hey wait, back when, he, when she got hit, do you yeah. remember going into the garage and the whole garage just covered in, like, blood? like the, Or is that just me? I don't remember that. I okay. don't remember if if they were still there. They must have been because the the neighbor's car who hit her was there, and so I. But I don't remember too much beyond that. There the might cat, have been. I don't it, remember. It was Mr. Cavanaugh, right? <laughs> yeah, 
And she was pretty messed up. When they brought her home, both her front legs were in full casts, and her back left leg was in this big old massive cast. And she had, like, pins put in. So, I mean, she was... She's lucky to have lived. I don't know how much that almost cost to fix her. But anyway, funny story about her was, you know, we'd play with her and we'd run around. And she was a, she was a fun dog to play with. She was a lot of fun. Um, when it was time to put her up, you know, she didn't want to get tied up. So we would try to tie her up. And, uh, you know, I guess it, mainly I'm thinking of the Saturdays before, you know, we go to church. And Dad's like, you know, get ready. And we'd try to tie her up and she would just start running. <laughs> I don't and remember she, any of this. She would break loose. And we, what can we do? We didn't do it on purpose, right? And then it would take like forever to find her and to get her to come back because, you know, dog, she wasn't stupid. She didn't want to come back. She knew she was going to get tied up. We had to tie her up so we could leave. And dad's like yelling at us and we're scared. And it's like, you know, what are we supposed to do? I mean, we didn't do it on purpose. Do you remember that, dad? I remember the cast. I don't remember the yelling. <laughs> I remember the cast on the back leg. I don't remember the front leg, but I remember the cast. I sure do. Oh, I remember when we first brought her home, she was so nervous that first time, I guess, we, were we at the pound? I think we were at the pound when we got her. I think and, so. You know, we, when we unloaded her, she was just so happy to be free that she puked everywhere in the garage. <laughs> and then she had diarrhea all over the garage. <laughs> and I, was, I remember thinking as a kid, I'm like, man, this isn't a good way to start, dog. <laughs> <laughs> wow hey remember so the Kavanaugh the guy that ran 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 over yeah re- remember like that time you were digging in the dirt out by the fence and you crossed over into his yard and you got all mad that guy had pro- that, that was an old grouchy man yeah we were <laughs> we were digging in the dirt by his you know at, I guess the back right side of, of our lot right before the woods and he had a they had a red fence put up and we were digging, and I think we dug under the fence, but not past the fence. You know what I'm saying? So, like, like if the, the fence demarcated our line and the fence was entirely on his land, then we did go onto his land. But it was just, like, literally an inch or two because we never went past the actual fence post. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? And then he, got, he came out there, and he was like, you're digging on our, on our, on our land, and that's not right. illegal. You can't do that. I'm going to talk to your parents. And it was like... Seriously, we went like an inch into your yard. And it wasn't even really into your yard. It was still under the fence. We didn't mess anything up. But, man, he was, I guess he was just a crotchety old man. <laughs> I'd punch him today if it man. Hey, didn't we drive the four-wheeler through his ditch or something and he got mad about that too? <laughs> God, I don't remember that. <laughs> did we do that, Dad, or did he not get mad at us? But I remember we would drive it, like, not through the ditch, but on the on the. The part of the ditch when it comes up and, and meets the street, we kind of drove it on that, you know, that part that nobody cares about. That kind of rings a bell, yeah. And I don't remember if you got mad or not, but I, I remember us doing it. <laughs> Payback for the fence incident. <laughs> okay, Dad, what you have a pet story? Uh, well, yeah, it's it's not, not too gruesome, but it was uh, uh, <laughs> learning... It was a learning experience. Uh-oh. When I was, uh, when I was uh, uh, young, we lived out in the country. Well, I lived out in the country until I was even not young. And uh, I don't know, we had, uh, mom and dad had uh, r- almost five acres of land. And uh, back behind the house, we had a little pen where we kept some hogs. And almost every day, I would go out there and feed them. 
And at one point in time, there was a there was there was a hole to the right of as you walked to it to the right was a hole in the ground. I don't know how the hole got out there, and I and I don't know exactly what why I did this, but I dug the hole and made it bigger. And then I put some fish in there. I put some goldfish and some uh, minnows, and I don't know what else was out there. Maybe a crawfish. And I fenced it in and had my own little uh, ecosystem out there. But every day when I fed the hogs, I had to take water out there because the water would soak into the ground. And I didn't know about, you know, putting clay or anything like that. So I thought, you know, I'm going to keep this water from uh, soaking into the ground. I uh, I guess I must have, I got money from somewhere somehow. Uh, I bought a bag of uh, that sacrete concrete, <laughs> and I let the I let the water kind of get low, and so I, I I mixed it together and I put the concrete around the the you know the bank and, and down so that the water wouldn't be go you know, you know disappearing all the time. You know, once the concrete got hard, the water wouldn't you know would it would stop the water. Uh-huh. When I came back the next day, all the fish were dead. Oh, because the concrete and the water killed the fish, so that ended my ecosystem. Because it, I guess it was toxic to them. Yeah, yeah, the concrete was toxic to the fish. Huh. So, so that's my story. That's my pet story. Did you ever have to dig that concrete up, or? Uh I don't remember. I can't go out there and look now. It's not our land. I don't. I just don't remember. I think I may have put uh, dirt back in it. Hey, that could be a. a an adventure we could sneak out there and dig up the spot and see if it's still there. I was just thinking that dad's like, it's someone else's land. I was like, and <laughs> <laughs> that'd be pretty cool. We'll go try that. Okay. Uh, let's see. I only have one more. Sarah reminded me about Augie, our, our dog that we got when we first moved to Austin and started going to college. Uh, we had got him and you know, I hadn't had a dog in a while. And he was sort of, he was an inside dog, which I wasn't used to. And so we were playing and he really liked when you would like give him a sock and he, and you held one end and kind of played tug of war and he would growl and chew on it and try to pull it away. And I don't know what happened if he yanked it out of my hand or if I threw it so he could catch it. But anyway, he ran into the door and his head, it looked like his neck disappeared into his body. And his head was like flush up with like, you know, the shoulder area. And then his head like popped back out. And so it freaked me out because, you know, at first I thought he was going to be dead or something. And then his head kind of like popped out and there was his neck. And it just freaked me out because that's not normal. So I ran out of the bedroom and closed the door and locked him in there. And I was just like, oh, uh, that's not normal. What do I do? His head popped out. But I could hear him in there, you know, like he wanted to come out and play. So I waited, I waited about 10 minutes, and then I opened the door, and he was fine. So but it was weird. <laughs> I just ran out and closed the door. <laughs> Matthew, are you going to comment on, on your other pets? Oh, yeah, I got a bunch about my bird, the first bird. All right, so when I moved here, when I moved up to Houston, I didn't know anybody, you know, you and and – coming home to an empty apartment sucks so i was like well let me get a bird oh i didn't we didn't talk about jean claude did we I'll yes talk about oh, okay I but anyway so so when we had a parrot prior which dad will talk about i'm messing up the chronolo- chronology here but um 
so mom and dad and I went kind of bird shopping around Houston. I mean, I just moved here. This was like, I guess, 2001. And uh, I finally settled on a Lutno cockatiel. And I, I didn't want a lovebird because that's what we already had. And, you know, I didn't want anything too much bigger because that was too expensive. And I didn't like cockatiels because I, I kind of think they're ugly. They're just motley looking birds. But uh, <laughs> they're the perfect size and they were the perfect price. And a Lutno cockatiel is solid yellow with red dots on its cheek. And it's kind of got the, the little head feathers. So it kind of looked like Pikachu from Pokemon, which is pretty sweet. So, you know, we got him, and I named him Mr. Wong, um, which is kind of a throwback reference to the icebox.com base, anyone who gets that. And um, that was kind of my buddy. And um, there's a lot of stories. I'll pick up. I'll just start mentioning them. You can cut them out if you want or whatever. But, um, you know, he was first – he was so scared to be there. He was kind of terrified. And, and – I was used to the lovebird where, you know, you could – the Jean-Claude the lovebird was much more interactive because, you know, we had kind of trained her to be so. So I was like, okay, well, I can just do that with this bird. So I stuck my hand in the cage and like freaked him out. And uh, at one point, I had him in a smaller cage, too small for him. Uh, but I freaked him out so bad he was like just fluttering all over his cage in sheer terror. And uh, when he, he, he when he flew out – or when he was flying around, one of his feathers got caught, I guess, and got ripped out, you know. And he started bleeding because what? it was – it's called a pin feather. It's one of the primary feathers. Oh. And it, it basically got ripped out, so it was bleeding. And I didn't know this, though. So he's sitting on my couch, and he's scared. And I'm like, okay, well, now you're out. Now we can play. And it was blood everywhere. And <laughs> I started freaking out because, one, I don't want my pet to die. But also, you know, it's like you kind of have a sense of responsibility. It goes back to what we were talking about, the, the hunting episode. You know, you have a sense of responsibility to these animals, you know, one way or another. Um, and so I was like, oh, man, you know, this isn't right. Oh, what do I do? What do I do? And I kind of just watched him for a long time. And he was, he, you know, he obviously lived. And he was fine. But that was kind of our first traumatic experience and didn't do much to uh, establishing our trust. And he did not like me for the longest time. And then uh, I started watching him at one point, And he had mites. He had these little bugs on him. Ew. So if you'd watch him, these little, like, you know, you're watching a horror movie. It's like the little slivers kind of crawl under the skin. Oh, sick. It was kind of like that. And I was like, what the? And it turns out it was mites. Birds can get infested with mites, kind of like dogs with fleas. And I was like, well, how did that happen? So, and he probably had it from the uh, the pet store. And, you know, he'd been like, he'd been living with me for months like that. Ew. So I, I can't have been comfortable, you know? You, did, so, you didn't notice it for months? No, because it, they were really subtle. Oh. I mean, it was, you really had to sit and watch for a long time. And when you did see it, you weren't sure if it was just a, a ruffle of the feathers. And, I mean, these guys, the, the, the bird doesn't sit still a lot. So it's kind of hard. Um, so anyway, I bought some mite spray. And I'm like, all right, buddy, I got to get you out of the cage. And I got to spray you. Right? It's for your own good. And uh, so I pulled him out of his cage. He did not like that. Um, I kind of held him down. I only have two hands, right? So I had to hold him down and cover his head. So I didn't like get it in his eyes because that'd be really bad and spray him down. So I, you know, I did that a couple times, and uh, the uh, the mites started falling off him. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I counted forty or fifty little mites. Oh. Um, and after that, you know, he was mite free for all these years, and he was very, very happy because of it. But the the, the cool part of that story, the non boring part of that story, I should say, is uh, at some point in the process, the when the mites were dying. 
I would actually reach in a cage with a pair of tweezers and, and like pull the dead mites off him. And, you know, it, he had been terrified literally of me all the way up to that point. And for some strange reason, he, he let, he, he let me stick tweezers in his cage without freaking out. And he let me pull the mites off him. And ever since I had done that, you know, there is that trust established between us. Well, so that was kind of the, the turning point in our, our, our relationship, so to say, which is kind of weird, you know, but it was that moment when, when he actually kind of, I guess, accepted me because, you know, parrots, parrots uh, become attached to one specific person. And that's when that moment occurred for he and I, or for he, yeah, for he and me. And uh, so that was really cool. And then what was kind of funny was uh, the first time Reza came over, and Reza's my wife now. First time Reza came over, I was like, oh, yeah, check out my bird. And, you know, it's like, oh, he's so cute. And she just reaches in his cage and tries to grab him. <laughs> <laughs> and freaked him out. I was like, what are you doing? So I guess she was over at my apartment. It was like the first time she was over at my apartment. And we were just hanging out or whatever. And uh, I'm trying to remember. I had his cage door open hoping he'd come out. But he wouldn't. And I think I was sitting on a floor and she was like sitting on the couch behind me. And she had her arms around me or something. I don't know. And as soon as she did that, he just started screaming and he flew out of the cage and he started like circling around, squawking. And then he landed on like a picture frame in the room and just screamed and screamed and screamed. And uh, what was happening was, you know, she liked me and he was extremely jealous. Oh. And so he knew he, he, could, he could sense it off of her. And so he was kind of, I'm not going to say marking his territory or whatever. But yeah, uh, no, it was just he was he was jealous of her, and I thought that was kind of cool too because one, it, it it oh hey she likes me my bird's telling me haha <laughs> but uh, it, it was cool because it it, it kind of shows you how strong your pet bonded to you, you know because sometimes it's hard to tell. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was really awesome. Hey, that reminds me of that movie Monkey Shines. You you remember that? Oh yeah. Where the the guy the he's in a wheelchair and he's got the monkey that's I guess helping him and then yeah, he's paraplegic. And, yeah, and then there's the lady nurse or doctor and they fall in love and then the monkey tries to kill her. <laughs> I think he does. <laughs> yeah. Yo, yo, watch out! Where watch that bird? <laughs> yeah. Um, so a couple other stories. We uh, he I guess I should I should preface it by saying. He was uh, – I always considered him a special Ed Bird because I don't think he was all there mentally. Okay. He he just didn't learn because these birds are supposed to be really smart and learn. Um, they're supposed to talk. Uh, there's a lot of things that they were supposed to do naturally that he didn't do. He couldn't see at all in the dark. Um, and just a lot of things – it's hard to put into words, but you know when you watch him, when watch their behavior – it's like he's kind of mildly retarded, <laughs> um, which, which is funny, but I guess, because it's a bird. But, you know, it, it makes him all that more endearing to you because, one, how, how rare is that to find a bird like that? But also, again, as the owner of, 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 pet that, of a pet with special needs that bonded to you, you <laughs> have a, a, a greater sense of obligation to it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that being said, one time when we were in our, our first apartment together, we uh, – <laughs> you know, he'd, I, I'd let him out and, uh, you know, he, 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 he'd play around or he usually just flew somewhere and sat there and then I'd get like a, a Gundam robot and chase him around, which he hated. 
<laughs> but uh, he usually would just sit and watch or he would he would uh he would crawl up on my shoulder and like try to bite my ear now he never really learned to bite which kind of was the the mental thing mental challenge thing he could never he never really learned how to bite so he would bite you but he never would like draw blood or puncture the skin even though he, he could have but he'd sit on my shoulder and then you know, I, I usually was in without a shirt on, and all of a sudden he would just crap down my back. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was sad. But uh, <laughs> you know, that was he, that special bomb. Yes. <laughs> um, he would be sitting like high up on a picture frame, and all of a sudden he would just start flying, and he he didn't know how to fly either. And then he would like land on my head, or I guess the more appropriate thing to say is he would crash land on my head, and he would come down in like a, a dive. And then he would dig his claws into my scalp and stop all of a sudden. You know what I'm saying? Hey, maybe so. maybe he never liked you at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be. You're misreading the signs. <laughs> yeah, but um, oh, maybe, yeah. oh, he crapped on my back. He loves me. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple times, I, I'd like let him out, and then. Uh, I would, I would lay on the ground and he would kind of look at me like what's going on and then I'd fall asleep and I'd wake up and he would just be like staring at me like Reza would say he was watching me like he was scared I was dead or he'd be sitting on my back just waiting for me to do something. You know, everyone's got pet stories like that. Um, another time we really bonded was he never took a bath. Like birds love taking baths and this guy didn't know how to do it. So I literally pulled him out of his cage and took him into the shower. Whoa. Which terrified him. So I was in the shower with him. I had my speedos on, so don't worry. And our, and uh, you know, he was like so scared. He was literally climbing up on my foot, like hugging against me. And uh, you know, I, I was dripping the water on him so the pressure didn't hurt him. But when I pulled him out of his cage, he was. I mean, when I pulled him out of the shower, he actually let me pet him off, and and he didn't like anyone touching him, even me. And I was like one of the only times I could ever like, in a sense, pet him was when he was terrified like <laughs> but uh anyway back to the story so we were watching a movie and he was out with us and again he can't see at night and uh, so we watched the movie in the dark and all that and the movie ended and you know he was kind of scared and i turned the lights on and as soon as i turned the lights on i picked him up and i said fly and i threw him up in the air to fly <laughs> and uh, it, fit, it fit the context at the time for some reason Anyway, he couldn't see. He was scared. He flew straight up in the ceiling and crashed and, like, scraped his head and there was blood everywhere. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Good times. <laughs> so, anyway, last Thanksgiving – was it last year? No, 2008. I had to go to uh, almost a week to Vegas for a work trip and then half a week at home and then reason I went to China for two weeks. So, we left – we took Mr. Wong to uh, mom and dad's in Edna to stay there. And – uh you know, because what are we supposed to do? So, so you know, we went to China. We came back. And, oh, man, there's so many stories. He got, like, the time we – so when we got married, we left Mr. Wong with my parents. And we came home uh, from, from our honeymoon. And we picked him up, I guess, about a week after we got back. And we were driving uh, home to Houston, and we got into an eight-car pileup. It was, like, three weeks after we were married. And uh, he was in a car with us. Uh-oh. And so, you know, they took Reza to the hospital in an ambulance and he's just – his cage is sitting in the middle of Highway 59. Well, not in the middle. It's on the – you know, one of those divider concrete things. Oh. Cars by going 70 and he's sitting there, you know, and I'm kind of like, you know, dealing with the cops and the tow truck people and the ambulance people and all this. Poor bird, man. 
they had been through some stuff. But anyway, when we went to China, <laughs> we left with mom and dad. So I guess four weeks, right? And then we came and picked them up uh, Friday. And we took them home. And, you know, we would always watch TV together with them. And he loved fortune cookies. The only human food he'd ever eat was fortune cookies. Like, you know, most birds would eat a lot of things. He wouldn't eat anything but fortune cookies. Um, and he'd eat them out of my hand, which is another rarity for him. So, you know, we watched a movie and, and had, you know, Chinese takeout. That was kind of our, our family, I guess, if you consider him part of the family. That was our family time. And, uh, you know, he and I hung out. Like, I watched move, some movies and TV with them. And he kind of just sat there with me. You know, whatever. Um, the next morning, Saturday, I got up. It was 2008. And uh, I uncovered his cage. I'm like, all right, you know, we're going to watch some more TV and do some stuff in the morning. Because um, it was Thanksgiving proper. It was Thanksgiving Day, I think. Or this Saturday Thanksgiving. And uh, he, he started like – he hung upside down. He like flipped upside down on his bar and just fell to the ground. But he was still alive. I mean, but he was kind of convulsing and stuff. And I was like, that's – you know, he's never done that. That's totally abnormal. And this was kind of around the time of bird flu. Uh-oh. So I'm like, well, I don't want to touch him you know, because I don't know what's going on. But he's obviously something's not right. So I kind of – I sat with him for about an hour and a half, two hours. I never went into his cage because I wasn't sure what was going on. Um, obviously, he was in some kind of stress, but you know, what if he's sick and he's infected? So I don't know. So after about an hour and a half, two hours, I said, "Okay, well, you know, screw it." So I opened the cage up, and and you know, he was like, it looked like he was having a seizure the entire time. Um, so I pulled him out of his cage, and uh, I kind of laid him on a towel, and I remember. I kind of stroked him on the back, and I was I was kind of upset. I was like, you know, hey, you know, what's going on, buddy? And uh, so I was patting him, and he kind of looked back at me. You know, he kind of raised his hand, and he looked back at me, and, uh, and then he closed his eyes, and he died in my hands. Ooh, yeah, oh wow. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm not a person who who views a, a, a pet like a, a, a human child, you know. But I was still very upset because you know, like I said, he had been with me when I first moved to Houston, and those were tough times. And he had been with me for the entire journey. Um, often when I would have no one to go home to but, you know, the, the, the pet in my apartment. So, you know, we had, and we had bonded a lot. through. You, know, you guys have just heard some of the many stories. So I was pretty upset. I'm like, well, crap. You know, and I kind of waited to make sure he was dead. And he was. So, uh, you know, I, I stuck him in the freezer just to make sure, um, even though I was 100% certain. And I went upstairs to tell Riza. And then when I went up there and I woke her up and I told her I just started, I lost it. You know, I mean, it wasn't one of those conscious things. It's just sometimes emotions get the better of you. And I literally just bawled. I mean, I guess I, I was so attached to him. I had so much emotion over it that I just lost it. And uh, I guess for that whole weekend, I was really upset. I remember then, the, and then like an hour later, we had to go to my in-laws for Thanksgiving lunch. And I'm like, yeah, my bird died. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you don't understand. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> But I remember that Sunday night, you know, I bawled again. I mean, just totally. And it was weird because, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't get upset about a, much, a lot of things, you know. And it's like, I understand he was a bird. And, you know, he was close to me, whatever, though he's gone. You know, it happens. But for some reason, it's just emotions. I couldn't control them. And uh, so I guess that Sunday morning, I, I buried him in our kind of our front patio area where, you know, I used to take his cage out and, uh, he would sit out there in his cage and I would kind of read and have coffee on the front porch. It's kind of the only time he got to go outside. So I kind of buried him out there to, I guess, I don't know if it's symbolic or whatever, but that's a cool story. 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's tragically beautiful, especially when, you know, it's like he looked back at me and, you know, he recognized me. And, rec- and then I guess I don't want to say he waited all that time for me to, like, recognize him and comfort him. I mean, that might be uh, anthropomorphizing him too much. But at that moment, he did recognize me. And then, he, you know, he's like, all right. And he passed on. And I was like, man, that's like the most beautiful way you could go. You know? Yeah. And I was like, I'm never getting another cockatiel. So instead, we got six finches. So what we got now is 11 finches because <laughs> finches are like rabbits. And all they do is just scream when you're trying to watch movies. See, Mr. Wong, when we'd watch a movie, he'd be quiet, you know? And we'd watch all the movie together, unless there's a siren and then he'd start screaming because that triggered him or something. But yeah, we'd watch movies and it's great. These guys never shut up. <laughs> And they eat way too much and they make lots of babies. I have to like take away their nests and throw, I have to throw away their eggs so they don't hatch. Oh, wow. Well, they don't, they don't, they don't incubate them yet. I mean, yeah. like within, a, within less than a day, they're out, the eggs are out of there. Um, but, oh, jeez, finches. So anyway, that's hey, my pet story. You should, let, you should let all those eggs hatch and then let them loose out of your, uh, your, where you live and you can have all these finches out there. No, they they die. There's too many cats and squirrels. <laughs> you don't think they'd stay in the trees? I don't know. Finches are crazy. Squirrels don't eat. Squirrels don't <laughs> eat birds. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this: they're all kind of just there. You know, they're just they don't see. Mister Wong would like watch you. Like I'd come down, and I'd be like, "Hey, good morning." And he would not take his eye off me. Like, I'd walk across the cage and he would follow me. Like, hey, we can play, we can play, we can play, you know? And, uh, you know, I'd always say goodnight. He'd, he'd actually would say goodnight, you know, or all this stuff. These guys don't even care. They don't even care that you're there except for one. There's this one bird who's white. And it's either the alpha male or the alpha female. I don't know. But uh, that one watches me. It's kind of scary. <laughs> Oh. But it's 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 the leader, so I call it leader one. <laughs> you got another one, Dad? No, I I don't. Uh, I really don't. I don't. I don't have any other pet stories. You have any more, Matthew? No. Well, there's uh, there's Jean Claude. Um, the we 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 got a lovebird when we were in Victoria, and it was a family pet, um, and we bought it from. It wasn't like a, one of those big main pet stores. It's a, a mom-and-pop type store. We bought a lovebird. It was a peach-faced lovebird. We named it Jean-Claude. Remember? Yes. yes. Okay. Named it Jean-Claude after Jean-Claude Van Damme. And uh, <laughs> it was, I mean, he was a funny bird. You know, I, I, I let him out, and he would fly around. And I guess I'd say I, it's fair to say I, I, I spent more time with him than most of you guys. Um and, you know, he would, like, fly around, and he wouldn't let you touch him at all. But he would kind of sit on my shoulders, and then uh, he would, like, chew on paper. He loved to chew strips out of paper. And so I'd be, I'd sit at the table reading or whatever, and he'd come up and chew my school book. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then I guess after a couple years, we had him, right? He laid an egg. Oh, he did? <laughs> and it was, a, it turned out all this time it was a female. Uh-oh. But it was amazing. It makes sense, you know, now that you have to look for because what, what she would do all those years was, you know, she would go down to the newspapers at the bottom, chew these, like, perfect strips of newspaper, stuff them into, like, her back, and then fly up as if to make a nest out of them. 
Oh, okay. Remember, she would like take those. They're like three inch long and like a maybe an eighth inch thick strips of newspaper, and uh, she would stick them in her back like little feathers. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and then she'd fly up, and if she had a basket or something, she would use those to make a nest out of. Yeah, I remember um, I, two stories. One was uh, we let her out of the cage, and Mom was washing dishes. And so she wanted to fly in and get into the dishwasher, dish dishwater in the sink, because she wanted to take a bath. She didn't care that we were washing dishes. Oh. <laughs> and then I think another time... We had the fan on in the uh, when we lived in Victoria. The fan on over the the table we ate, and it was on real slow. And she flew and ran into the fan, and she was sitting on the blades, going around and around and around. Oh and then she, yeah! Then she eventually flew off. I remember that. That that's kind of funny. Oh yeah, and she did not like people sticking their hands in the cages. Yeah, I don't know if I ever actually touched her. Yeah, she. she yeah, you're right. I didn't. I didn't spend that much time with her at all. She was mean, though. She would bite, and she would draw blood. She was that mean. Well, I think what happened was we, when uh, when we got Jean Claude, the guy told us, he said, "Hey, if you want to hold her, uh, put a glove on or pick her up in a towel." And we did that. You know, the first few times. You know, for you know, week week or two, we had her, and I don't think that was a good idea. I think that. <laughs> The the glove. She didn't like. It. Yeah, she didn't like it. And from that point on, stick your hand in the cage, and she'd go after you. Yeah, she would like sprint after you. She she had a temper. <laughs> but she would land on your shoulder if you let her out on a cage. She'd land on your shoulder. But in the cage, you didn't you didn't stick your hand in. Yeah, well, again, because I guess it makes sense. She was a female. She was very territorial. Yeah, that's her home. Oh, I watched that. Uh, THX 1138 again. The new one or, or like his original student film? Um, I mean, well, like, like the the remake kind of one? or This was the remastered one. I didn't know that. There was a, there was a couple scenes that I noticed at the end. I was like, wait, how did they do that? And I was like, oh, it's CG. Oh. Uh, it was, you know, I'll say, I'll say, <laughs> excuse me, I'll say this, that, uh, it's not a good movie theater movie, but it is a really good art movie. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, again, you got to think of the context too. But I mean, it was a totally original idea. Um, a lot of new techniques. A lot of new techniques were used. Uh, a brilliant use of of like color, environment, and sound, and so much so. And this is kind of why I say it was better art movie than like enjoyable movie was. Uh, do almost the entire movie, especially the like the first half, when when they're showing the world, it's so you know robotic and and lifeless and dehumanizing that the the way he he kind of cut scenes and particularly the way the music is playing, it's very uncomfortable. Huh? Like I'm sitting there and I was only half watching it. And I'm like this. I don't want this is uncomfortable because the music is just so like so thick. And, and, and like you know, um, malevolent. Yeah, it's just it's just there, and it's like, oh man, this this is so uncomfortable. Um, which is all part of you know, he's really trying to make you feel the discomfort of this this world that he created. I really what like. What's the name of that movie? THX eleven thirty eight, and uh, uh, 
are you going to watch it, Dad? I don't know. It's on Netflix. Um, yeah, you can stream it. Yeah, because uh, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the ending. Yeah, don't because because I, I have it in in my dad's queue. <laughs> okay. Well, I will say this. I, I think I think the way he kind of ended it was really original. I was very impressed because um, it's kind of like, oh, that's that's pretty smart. And also, and I think they mentioned this on uh, TV at my dinner, but it certainly bears worth repeating. Um, you watch a lot of Lucas's original movies, you know, THX and American Graffiti, and Lucas tried. He was so avant-garde. You know, he tried so many new techniques, not just science, uh, not just special effects, um, but like from a director standpoint. Because you know, American Graffiti was the first movie to, I believe, I've read, I read somewhere, it was the first American movie that had like multiple storylines going on at once. Oh right, yeah. And you know he he like had cameras sitting like hung off on the side of a car, um, and then he filmed it all on like a few nights, a week or something. It was like obscene how 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 quick they filmed it. Yeah, so he he definitely had a lot of immense amount of creativity and and scorn for the the industry as a whole. Uh, the you know the the big business aspect of it, and, and you know he was making these really creative again avant garde movies. And then he hit it with Star Wars. And Star Wars was kind of a step back for him as far as creativity goes because it was really kind of just like, all right, well, let me make a uh, kind of a Buck Rogers type Saturday matinee movie and then move on to something else more creative. But it, because it did so phenomenally well, he kind of got pigeonholed to it or he got sucked in and he never really broke free of it. So it's almost like it ruined his creative ability. Yeah, but then he then he did Howard the Duck, so it. <laughs> and how, didn't he do Willow also? <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I, I I love Willow. Yeah, but someone I read somewhere something Willow is like exactly like Star Wars or something. Yeah, yeah. Except you know. Yeah, yeah. If you look at all his movies, they say all all his movies past Star Wars, and I love Star Wars. It is definitely one of my top five movies. And I'll, I'll say it's from a you know just an, a, a, a movie critique standpoint, it was a very good movie. Okay, but after that, everything else was not that good. So, but what what happened? Because everything prior was actually really. I mean, he was he had an immense amount of talent. Yeah. So I mean, did he just tap out, or 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 did you know he kind of become so changed by the Star Wars phenomenon that he just could never go back to creating crazy. Well, uh, I think, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of influence, you know, from the, you know, maybe the people around him, studios, whatever. But I, if you watch a lot of, um, a lot of filmmakers and directors and stuff, they usually have like a period where they're really good and then maybe they're okay or bad and then it kind of fluctuates they may get back to their former glory or they may not. And it's almost like, you know, maybe he that was his best. And after that, you know, you just can't you can't always top your best. That was, you know, it's like uh like Michael Jordan or whatever, you know, for that whatever, 5 or 6 years where he was like the best basketball player in the world. Yeah. And and then, you know, he retired while he was on top, but l- let's say he didn't, you know, 
And so if he kept playing, he would slowly get worse, you know, and, you know, maybe he'd be good and then maybe he'd be bad. Maybe he'd come back and be good. And maybe that's the deal with George Lucas. He was awesome. And now he's just trying to, you know, he tried to come back with the prequels and be great and it wasn't. And, you know, I don't know. You see it with like writers and artists too. Like sometimes you just hit on something awesome and you can just never capture that again. And maybe the stuff you do afterwards is good, but of course everybody's comparing it to your best. And so I don't know. (laughs) It's kind of hard though. If you come out swinging and then after that, you you know, you've, you've always got that over, over your head. People are like, Oh, well that's no, that's no star Wars. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's all I got. Y'all have anything else? Now, that's no. all I got. All right. Uh, thank you for listening. You can check out the website at ctupa.com. It's all new. You can leave comments and there's some links, show notes, all that kind of stuff. If you have any topic ideas or if, you, if you'd like to guest host with me or my dad or my brother, uh, feel free to send me an email. We'd love to have you. I guess that's it. Good night. Good night. Good night. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to go watch a ninja movie.